This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Welcome, Elevate. Love you guys. I'm so glad that y'all are here tonight. If you are new, welcome to Elevate. This is such a cool family to be a part of. I, I challenge you to go and meet somebody because everybody that's already here, they're such cool people. And so welcome if you are new. Uh, my name is Dominic, and I'm so excited about God's Word tonight. We are starting a new series called Do Hard Things. And it's going to, over the next five weeks, challenge you to take five hard principles. Thank you, Noah. Give him a hand. To take five hard principles and apply them every day. It's coming from a book with Do Hard Things as the title, and it was written by two teenagers. Two teenagers that led a political campaign. Two teenagers that wrote a book and that became a number one bestseller that have started an organization that is touching students' lives all over the country and all over the world. And so I'm going to be pulling a lot from that book. It's out there at the snack shop. You can buy it for 10 bucks. And I think it would challenge you. You're just getting a snippet of what that talks about. The second half of the book is just testimonies of teenagers your age that did huge things because they believed that they could do more than what the people around them said. So I want to open up with this thought. The thought that you have been lied to. You are daily being lied to. Let me illustrate this for just a second. Let me put out the word adolescence. What, what, how do you define adolescence to yourself? What are some words that you would attach to that? Adolescence. Maybe you would think of someone who is young, immature. Yeah. Someone who doesn't make a lot of great decisions. Maybe someone who's impulsive, entitled. Someone who's maybe just a little bit on the lazy side. And I've got to ask you, is there any part of your life or what you do that reflects that image? Consider that for a minute. Because if you're on, if you're on the road and you're driving and you take your hands off the steering wheel, what's going to happen? Your car's going to start drifting, right? Now, I can tell you in your life that if you take your hands off the wheel of your life, you will not drift towards purpose. You will not drift towards success. You will not drift towards intentionality. You will drift towards complacency. And what's crazy is that many of the people in our lives, especially around you guys as teenagers, believe in the myth, and I'm going to argue for this, of adolescence. They believe that you're going to just settle in for five to seven years and ride it out until you're an adult. And what's crazy is you may have bought that lie so that you now reflect the very thing they believe, only confirming it so that they believe it, and then you reflect it, and it's this crazy cycle. But I'm telling you that 
I would not be a youth pastor if I didn't believe that you could do more and be more than what society is already saying. I don't preach watered-down sermons. I have never preached anything less than if, if God had me speak at big church or any other place. Like, I believe that you can handle anything that is being spoken anywhere. And so when we dig in the Word, we go for, after the hard stuff. Because I believe in you guys. There's a beautiful illustration at the beginning of this book. And it talks about in India, still to this day, in the remote places of India, the entire village or a tribe would pull their resources and purchase a single baby elephant. And this elephant is the center of, of their lives. This elephant, you know, makes food for them. This elephant helps them build their houses. It is an incredibly important tool in their world. And so every year they will celebrate this elephant. They'll paint it with bright colors and they'll march it through the streets and they have contests around it. But as a baby, they will bring it back to their village the very first night and they will chain its back leg to a tree. And so for several nights, all night, that elephant will pull against that chain and it'll cry until it bleeds around its back ankle. And after several nights of this this brutal treatment, the elephant will eventually be convinced that it is stuck to the tree so that every night from then on, they can put a stake into the ground, hammer it in, and they can tie a piece of twine around that elephant's leg, just a piece of twine. And as soon as that elephant feels the tension of the twine, it believes that it is immobilized. So that no matter how big this monster of a creature gets, every night it is bound by a piece of twine to its back ankle. Now, every year they celebrate that elephant, and part of their celebration is that they will get up to 100 men doing a a tug-of-war against the elephant, and almost every time the elephant will win. This is a creature of immense strength, completely harnessed by this. It has been mentally broken. The idea of adolescence is a twine around your mind's that has been passed down for several generations, and I'm telling you that you are more than what you believe you are, that you can do more than what you think you can. So I'd like to take the idea of adolescence. This is, this is actually just all the introduction, but let's take the idea of adolescence and put it on trial for a few minutes. I call it to be weighed and tested. I'm going to put it under three tests. The test of logic is the first one, then the test of history, and then the test of your actual anatomy. So let's go. The argument of logic. Consider for a second, what are some of the critical things that you learn as a child? Oh man, imagine a baby. What does that baby have to do? They're going to have to learn how to, how to walk. They're going to need to learn fine motor skills, how to speak, how to relate to other children. They're going to have to learn morality of what's right and wrong. They're going to have, a, have to adapt to new environments after new environments. They're having to process this enormous new world. Simply stated, they're expected to learn, to develop, to grow, and to move forward. Now, jump forward to an adult. What does an adult have to do? What are the critical aspects that an adult has to learn? They may have to hold a career, maybe juggle a family, understand what mortgages are, wrestling with debt, having to do all that stuff. They have to progress society. Maybe they fight injustice. They have to figure out how the heck they're going to vote. They're going to have to work. They're going to have to entertain. They're going to have a lot of responsibilities. They're going to have to keep learning, growing, developing, and pushing forward. 
right now, maybe some of you don't have present expectations much greater than do your homework, don't get pregnant, clean your room occasionally. And maybe some of you aren't, don't even have a perfect score on that list. That room's still dirty. Is it really logical for a teenager to take a seven-year vacation from development and responsibility? Does that make sense to you at all? When will adult version you learn how to adult? Will a certain number on your driver's license suddenly magically imbue you with responsibility? All this laziness and everything that just disappears as soon as you hit a certain number on your license. I'm an adult now. I'm going to go take the world with, with great ambition and tenacity. No. To reach your maximum potential as an adult, you're going to have to use your teenage years as a springboard towards that. You must never relax in learning, developing, growing, and moving forward. So simple logic alone discredits the idea of adolescence. The argument of history. The term teenager is actually only 80 years old. In the long history of mankind, there was only an understood bracket around teenage years for the past 80 years or so. It was coined by Reader's Digest in 1941. Up until that point, about 100 years ago, Teenagers were understood as adults. You didn't have like child, adolescent, adult. You went from child to full-blown adult. It was go time. In Rome, by 16, you already owned land and served in the military. In the Jewish culture, by 12 to 14, you were getting married and taking over the business. In Prussia, by 15 years old, you were serving in the military. In the United States, 100 years ago, at 15 years old, you'd be attending the university, perhaps getting married, and definitely beginning your occupation. Sometime, maybe ask your parents, grandparents, how old were your great-grandparents whenever they took on responsibility, when they started providing for their siblings? How old were your great-grandparents when they left school for a job? Ask some of those questions. I can give you examples of teens that led armadas, that opened hospitals, that ruled nations. History itself discredits an idea of adolescence. How about your own human anatomy? You're going to get cited. Oh, yeah, but the, the student's brain isn't fully developed till they're 25. They're idiots until then. Are you serious? Let me, let me show you something about your brain. Noah, come on up. Would you mind? Uh, thank you, sir. Stand right here in front of the keyboard. Hey, Henry, the rope is back. All right, this rope represents... Something very special. There you go. Thank you. Just hold it right there. Now, this rope represents your brain will develop in mass in the ability to learn in your life. You will have a peak time whenever your brain can learn the fastest, is the most agile, can, can process the most information. And that peak time in your brain, let's say right here. So this is your birth right here. You were born. Your brain peaks out and then... death. This peak time right here, when your brain is at its absolute richest time to learn, to develop, to grow, to take on new skills, is between the ages of 13 and 15 years old. That's kind of crazy. Thank you, Noah. So if you want to learn a new language, you rock, Noah. So if you want to learn a new language, now's the time to do it. 
If you want to pick up mechanics, carpentry, or any new skill, now is the time to do it. This is your opportunity. You're at your peak capacity for growth and development. You have more potential for learning, developing, growing, and moving forward than you will ever have again. Right now. Is this a season to take vacation? To spend more time on the couch and vegetating to media? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that's like KO in the third. Adolescence has been put to death here. The idea that we're supposed to spend seven years coasting is such a myth. Plus, think about this. You are living in the most, in, in an era, in, in a nation of the greatest wealth, widest communication, greatest access to knowledge and education than any point in human history in anywhere on the globe. So let me think about that for a minute. Right now, you are at your peak opportunity for development, and it's inner, it's coming together with the peak opportunity for growth and development in where you live. And you spent how many hours last week watching Netflix, YouTube, social media, video games? You are taking the years of your life that should be the most powerful springboard and maybe you're not using them to the maximum capacity. Maybe you're not grabbing a hold of these years and launching yourself into adulthood that you could. Maybe that pricks you just a little bit. Maybe you realize that you bought the lie of adolescence. Why do you think the lie of adolescence is such a comfortable lie to accept? Why do you think it's so easy to swallow? Is it because it just doesn't ask anything of you? It has low expectations? You have the ability to be an adult in progress, a leader in training, a champion in training. Or you can settle for the purgatory of drifting in mediocrity. God has more for you than maybe what you thought you had for yourself. So over the next five weeks, we're going to dive in. I want to challenge you with five hard things to plug into your life daily. Are you ready for number one? I want to tell a brief story of a guy in the book of Judges named Gideon. And when we find Gideon, Gideon is dealing with a big bad nation that has tormented his people. They've come in and they stole their food and they stole their goods and they like harass their women. And it's like a terrible season in Gideon's life. And so the only way that this guy can have a snack is for him to take his wheat and hide in a wine press. A wine press is not where you make bread, by the way. He's hiding in here, trying to thrash wheat so he can eat for a little bit, hiding from the bad guys. And this is the point that the angel of the Lord shows up to him. And in verse 12, this is how God addresses him. The Lord is with you, and then calls him a mighty man of valor. The guy who is hiding God calls a mighty man of valor. And this is what he tells him in 14. Go in this might, this strength of yours, and save Israel, your people. And what does Gideon say? Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan, my, my family is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least. I'm the weakest. I'm the smallest in my father's house. But God had higher expectations for Gideon than what Gideon had for himself. Go and read it. Judges 6 through Six through eight, amazing story of Gideon. 
Gideon saw himself here, but God said, no, I see more in you than you see in yourself. I'm calling you to do more than what you believe. In 1 Timothy, Paul is calling a teenager to be a pastor. And what does he say to him? You guys know this verse. These things I command and teach you, let no one despise you for your youth. And that's where we often leave off. Yay, I'm a youth. You can't despise me. But what does he say for him to do? But be an example to believers in words, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and in purity. So Paul has high expectations of Timothy. He's not saying, I want your virtues to be equal to the people around you. I want your virtues to be equal to the adults in your life. He's saying, Timothy, don't let them look down on you because you're a teenager. You get out and you, sh- you lead them. You show them what it is to be a man of integrity with your words and with your actions and with your faith and with your love. Don't be entitled. You don't owe, you're not owed anything. But if you will live the example, they will follow. Elevate. I'm challenging you. Break yourself off of conformity and begin to lead in these things. Lead in your faith. Lead in your love. Lead in your words and your actions. You are more than you think you are. Society may have a low outlook on you. You may have a low outlook on yourself, but God has higher expectations for you. So here we go. Five hard things. I'm going to associate them with the five fingers on your hand. Tonight we're going to look at the ring finger. The ring finger represents marriage. It represents commitment. Because if you will not commit yourself to this first hard challenge, then the next four are totally useless to you. You must wed yourself to this first challenge, and that is the challenge of doing things outside of your comfort zone. Public speaking, developing a new skill, Spanish homework, being bold for Jesus, trying a new food, having a tough conversation with your parent, breaking up with that loser. You're going to need to start doing things outside your comfort zone regularly. I had the opportunity as a young adult, to be an instructor of a high ropes course. That's where you put people up on the high lines at 30 foot high. And I love some of the principles I learned from there. And one of the things that they were teaching us as I was learning to be an instructor was that people have a comfort zone. Imagine yourself standing in a small circle. And then outside that comfort zone is another circle called the stretching zone. And when they get on the stretching zone, their heart pounds, and this is hard, and it requires something of us. I'm doing something I've never done before, and it's going to challenge me to, to try things I've never tried. But then outside of that circle is the panic zone. That's where someone freezes. That is where someone is 30 feet up, and now I have to go rescue them now because they're just frozen there. And that means I have to climb up there. I have to clip into them. I have to get a rope attached to me, and then I bear hug them and jump off backwards with them screaming. They come down. They call a parent and cry, and everything's fine. That's the panic zone. But it was our job as high rope instructors to understand people enough to push them out of their comfort zone into the stretching zone, but be careful not to push them into the panic zone, to challenge them where, where they were supposed to be stretched. And you know what? The more time you spend in your stretching zone, your comfort zone begins to get bigger. And what used to be stretching is now not that bad anymore. And you know what? As you spend more time in your stretching zone, your stretching zone begins to reach out into the panic zone, and what used to panic you is now just stretching. The more time you begin to spend in your stretching zone, you're going to start having a lot more leeway, more tools in your tool belt, more abilities for your life. 
There's a globe called the Hunt Lennox Globe. It was made in 1510. 1510! This is like less than 20 years after Columbus hit the North, North America. And it has in Latin, I don't know if you can see it right here. You see there's three lines? Whoop. Right here. It says HC, SVNT, Dracones. Hic sunt Dracones. Here are dragons. In this unexplored area of China. Why? Because outside of what we know, outside of what is charted, what's comfortable, we are absolutely sure that there are unknown dangers there. Out there and where they, those sailors, those explorers haven't been, they're sure there must be monsters there. Isn't that how we act with our lives? Outside of our comfort zone are endless dangers. But I'm telling you that those empty fears are just the twine that's holding you in place where you are right now. And you know how you can recognize your stretching zone? Your stretching zone, the wall of your stretching zone, is full of things that you just put off as long as you can, the things that you avoid at all costs. You're going to know, like, whenever that, that homework hits and you're, like, doing everything else but that homework, there's your stretching zone. Whenever you, know, you have to have that hard conversation so you avoid that person forever, there's your stretching zone. What are those things in your life right now that you put off? What are those things that you avoid at all costs? Comfort zones are relaxed, they're familiar, and they're predictable. They don't ask anything of us. So here's three keys to getting out of your comfort zone. You guys ready over there? Three keys to get out of your comfort zone. The first one is, you take courage. And if you haven't heard this definition, I want this to be seared on your heart. This is so beautiful. Read this with me. Not out loud, because that would just be chaos. But courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something is more important than fear. The brave may not live forever. Oh, I love this. But the cautious do not live at all. Just as a side note, if you would like the notes that I'm looking at, you can get on iloveelevate.com, go to the podcast page, and download these on PDF. Joshua 1, 19. God comes to Joshua with an impossible task. Take your group of people, cross the river, and conquer nations. But God told Joshua, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you, be strong and of good courage and do not be afraid. And I'm telling you, you may still be scared, but it doesn't mean you can't move. When I was young, and actually on that high ropes course as a kid before I became an instructor, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. We had this pole. It's nothing more than a telephone pole about this big around. And you climb to the top, and above that pole, there is nothing. It's empty air. And you have to somehow manage to get both feet on the top of that pole so that your toes are sticking out the top and your heels are sticking out the back, and it's just empty. You're just floating 30 feet above everything. And way out there, it feels like it's forever away, but it's really not, is a trapeze hanging there. And your goal, with this little tiny rope attached to you, is to jump off of your safe pole and grab that trapeze out in front of you. And I can tell you that as an instructor, girls were always more brave than guys. I don't know why, but shout out to women. But as a kid, I was much more in the guy camp of being terrified. But before I went up there, I had the idiot audacity 
to be talking myself up. I thought I was awesome. I thought there was nothing I was afraid of. And I'm telling you, standing at the top, and the pole was shaking because I was shaking. And I'm looking out, and all the people that I was talking big in front of, especially pretty girls, man, they were so cute that year. I'm up there, and I am embarrassed out of my socks. And you know what I said? Hold on, just give me a minute. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters. Too bad my math doesn't go higher than that. Okay, I'll back up. I stood up there forever. I must have been up there 20 minutes. Hold on, wait a minute. I'm almost ready. I'm almost ready. Hang in there. And I learned something in hindsight, and that is that you may have circumstances in your life that you are waiting to be brave enough to tackle. But bravery has never come with procrastination. No matter how long you wait, you will never feel comfortable to step into your stretching zone. And the year after, to vindicate myself, the year after I did it, it was much easier. But I was terrified. I eventually just sat down on the pole and just sort of like swung off. Man, it's so embarrassing. Maybe you have things in your life right now that you're waiting to get to build up the courage to do. And if you're waiting until you're not afraid anymore, you will miss opportunities. Every time that you wait until you're safe, you will miss opportunities. I want to say that again. Courage never comes through procrastination. The second thing, so take courage. The second thing is learn to fail. Learn to fail forward. Take your failure, learn what went wrong, and try again. Proverbs 24, 16, I quoted it last week. The righteous falls seven times and rises again. I have a friend that I grew up with, and it's, it's painful for me to think about him because he be, kind of became scared of everything. He just started becoming a homebody. And as soon as he didn't have to go to school anymore, he just lived at home. He'd do online classes. He, I'm not sure he works on his computer somehow, but he never leaves home. I'm pretty sure that his mom has left the house and still supporting him. He's in a really sad place. And you know what? He has never failed at anything. My friend has never done anything. He hasn't lived at all. We allow ourselves to be paralyzed by the fear of failing, and we hide in our comfortable predictability. Right now, what are you afraid of failing at? What is it? Where in your life are you afraid of failing? And you know what? Often we are afraid to fail because of bad experiences and past failures, and they burned us, they hurt us. But the worst failure is quitting or not trying at all. Henry Ford, I'm sure you heard of that guy. He's once said that failure provides the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Thomas Edison, the guy who invented the light bulb and a whole bunch of other cool stuff, His teacher said he was too stupid to learn anything. I bet you he felt that as he took 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. When a reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail 1,000 times? Edison replied, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. That is a guy who learned to fail more intelligently. Babe Ruth is famous for his home run record. In his career, he hit 714 home runs, but he also held the record for strikeouts at 1,330 strikeouts. 
There's a professor at MIT, Massachusetts Institution of Technology, that big school that really smart people come out of. This is a professor that offers a course on failure. An interviewer once asked him, have you ever had someone fail your course on failure? And he gave the wisest response. He said, no, but I've had two incompletes, people that quit. The first failure, the worst failure is not trying at all. So what do we have? How do we deal with getting outside of our comfort zones? We take courage. We learn to fail forward. And the third one, the most beautiful of them all, is to surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit, to no longer be in control of our lives. And I'm telling you, you give your life to the Holy Spirit, he's going to push you out of your comfort zone every day. He's going to kick you so far into your comfort zone, you're going to be panicked. Oh, Lord, if you don't do something right now, I am totally, totally in trouble. That's what God does to us all. That's what he did to Gideon. Gideon, go, defeat all of Israel's armies, save Israel. How many soldiers do they have? Thousands. They cover the mountainsides. How many are you giving me? 300. <laughs> okay. Panic zone. 2 Corinthians 12.9. Paul is saying, his strength, his power is made perfect in what? In weakness. God works in our weaknesses to accomplish his big goals. When we use negative self-depreciating statements, maybe you've heard yourself say something like this. I'm just not a math person. I have a bad memory. I'm shy. I can't learn names. My teacher just doesn't like me. I can't speak in public. I'm not smart enough. We're forgetting who our God is. That's what Moses said. And look what Moses accomplished because he had God on his side. These statements, pay attention right now. These kind of self-depreciating negative statements are nothing more than camouflage of your actually saying, I don't want to do things that don't come easy. Every time you use one of those statements, all you're really saying is, I just don't want to do something hard. We forget it is Christ who lives in us, and he is in control. And with God's help, we can thrive out there in uncharted territory. We can thrive in our stretching zones. There was a, a preacher named Oral Roberts. He founded Oral Roberts University. It's where I went to school. He had a terrible stutter. So it was kind of hard for him to surrender when the Holy Spirit called him to be a preacher. But when he would take the stage under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he never stuttered once because he was surrendered to the Lord. At that same high ropes course, there was a challenge. I just talked about it recently. It's a telephone pole that's laid sideways and there's nothing to hold on to. You have to walk the balance of this telephone pole with nothing to hold on to, except it gets worse. It's actually inclined. And so you're trying to go uphill, holding your balance, and down there is like 30 feet, and people are looking at you like, hi. You know, there's a guy holding the rope, like talking to some girl, and you're like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And I had a really wise instructor, and he noticed that people kept looking down and falling, so he climbed up there and he painted a cross on the far pole. So whenever they would leave the pole of comfort, they'd have to let go and step out. He would holler up to them and he'd say, don't look down. Look at the cross. Look over there. Look at the cross. Don't look down. And they started walking every, walking it every time. And that reminds me of that story of Peter. You know where I'm going. Jesus is walking on the water and Peter walks on the water. You know what blew my mind about that story very recently? Was I realized who initiated this crazy thing. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus is on the water and Peter says, if it's you... Call me to come out to you. 
Call me to walk on the water. It's almost like Peter is saying, if I'm going to follow you, Jesus, I have to be willing to attempt things I have never done before. Things that seem terrifying. And Jesus responds back to him, I accept your proposal. Come on out here. Just keep your eyes on me. Don't look down, Peter. Keep your eyes right here. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If we're going to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves. We have to get our eyes off of negativity, off of failures, off of our stretching zones, off of all the things that are holding us back, off of the lie of adolescence that you can't do, that you're just expected to sit on your butt all day, that you're just expected to be on video games and YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that you can't contribute to the world around you to make it a better place, to make it a place where Jesus dwells. I'm telling you, stop looking down. And start looking towards Jesus, who you surrender your life to. Never, write this down, take a picture, whatever you got to do. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Is that beautiful? Yeah, amen. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an unknown God. So that has to ask the question of you. Do you know him? Do you know him enough that you trust him? Do you know him like Peter did? If it's you, call me out. Because if it's you, I want to be outside of my comfort zone. I want to be chasing you down. I want to be running right towards you to where you'll catch me if I fail. So what area of your life are you holding back from the Holy Spirit? In what situation right now are you paralyzed in your comfort zone because you don't want to surrender it to the Lord? There was an explorer, a Navy officer, who left Great Britain, and he explored the Canadian Arctic coastlines and actually mapped a great deal of it. His name was Sir John Franklin. And there's a legend about him. I don't know if it's true or not, but it doesn't matter. There's a legend that he owned a map of North America, and out in the Pacific, it said, here are dragons. But it also had, in some of the other lands, it would say things like, here are giants, and here are fiery scorpions. And according to this legend, as Sir John Franklin would go and explore those places, he would scratch out the words that the mapmaker wrote. He'd scratch out, here are giants, or here are fiery scorpions, And he would fill in words himself, and he would write, here is God. Consider that. Is God in your comfort zone with you? Absolutely. You know where else he is? He's in the uncharted territory, too. He's out there in your stretching zone. He's in those places that you don't want to go yet. He's in those places that you're being pressed to go, and you're just uncertain. He's in those places of failure. And you know what? Just like with Peter, he is waiting there to catch you in your failure. He's waiting there to support you, to love you. We need to start looking at the fear in our life and scratching it out and replacing it with the truth that right there is where God wants to meet us. Amen? How could God call a self-depreciating fraidy cat like Gideon, a mighty man of valor? And I want to look at that verse again. Can you scroll back and put that verse up? Look what God said to him. 
The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. God was not calling out Gideon's status. He was calling out Gideon's leader. He was saying, Gideon, you can do all things through Christ. You can do all things through your God because I am what? I'm with you. I'm empowering you. I'm leading you. I am already there in the scary. We need to find those scary places in our life and begin to write in the words, here is God. And you're going to begin to discover that the chain of your comfort zone, it was twine all along. Recap. The one who made you has high expectations of you right now at your age. You are to be an example to others in your words, actions, love, and faith. Your first step in being effective is getting out of your comfort zone daily. And the keys to getting out of your comfort zone are taking courage, failing forward, and surrendering to the Holy Spirit. So I've got a challenge for you. <laughs> All right, let's put the challenge up there. I want you to read through these real quick. Skim through them. Spending time with the Lord every day, beginning a conversation with a stranger, replacing an hour of free time with an hour of studying for your hardest class, giving a friendly call to a relative you kind of don't like very much, giving some of your hard-earned money back to the Lord. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Which one of these things do you want to do the least? Did you use process of elimination? Did you read through going, no, that's not me. No, no, can't do that. Well, that, that, I might be able to pull that one off. That's doable. Which one, which one did you eliminate first? Which one did you scratch out? Nope, not me. My challenge for you, my challenge for you, is to take the one you want to do the least this week. Step out of your comfort zone. What did you do? You looked for the one that was the most, right? But God has never called you to your comfort zone. He's calling you to press into uncharted waters, to trust him when you make that phone call, to trust him when you have a little less money than you did before, to trust him when you start studying for something that you hate, to trust him that he is already there. Get out of your comfort zone and go do something hard. Heavenly Father, there is not a story in your word where you left people with something easy. It is always sacrifice. It is always challenging. Your people have always had to overcome fear. But the truth is that you don't give fear. You give power. Lord, you give stability. You give comfort. And you give us a sound mind. You love us too much to leave us where we are. And you love the people around us too much to not send us. Lord, I pray that tonight doesn't come and go without change. Holy Spirit, motivate us. Kick us in the rear end. If you challenge Timothy, if you challenge Gideon, if you challenge every other biblical character, 
you probably challenged the person that led us to know you too. And I pray that this is a room full of people prepared to lead. Have your way in us. Have your way in our lives. We surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, pause. Under your, pass out those twines. We have some guys. They're going to hand out these little pieces right here. I want you to hold it in your hand. Take it, tug it in your purse or your wallet. Stick it in your pocket on your mirror. Hand them out. I want you to remember every day, especially when you're going towards your challenges, that this is it. This is the fear that's holding you back. But God has never called you to be anything less than a person who is filled with his power. This is breakable. Take these, keep them, and I hope they mean something to you. Love you, Elevate. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.